continuing our series looking at the commands of God. I had started last Sunday morning with the commands of God, and there's about 839 verses in the Bible that deal with commands. Now, not all of them are given by God. Sometimes other men command other men. Uh, But I looked at every instance where the word command, commandeth, or a derivation therein is used in the Scriptures. And uh, I did it because I felt like, well, in Genesis chapter 2, it's our opening passage of Scripture this evening, just that God commanded man to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And so if you have your Bible, would you follow along with me? There's still several more sermons out of this. I had 800 and something, and so I'm still breaking it down and, and dealing with the topics that are therein. It's a fascinating study, and um, I've already started working on the one for next weekend, and uh, unbelievable as you just think about uh, the, the orchestration that God uh, gives to us for every aspect of life. You know what? God has given us all that we need for life. And it's an amazing thing when we think about God's wisdom and God's commands for our, all of our lives. Many times we believe that uh, God is not involved in our lives, or we may think that God doesn't really care about maybe how I live or what I talk about, or, but God has a lot to say about it. And as we understand the commands of God and the areas that God deals with, and what I'm doing here is still not an in-depth study. It's in-depth, but it's not, I mean, it's still your 30,000-foot ceiling looking at things, at the Scriptures. And so, as we look at the commands of God, and it's just, uh, as I continue to think about all of this, we're in a day and age, again, where individuals do not like to be commanded. Don't tell me what to do. I mean, I've, I've repeated that phrase, but we are in an age where there is, people want to live their life their own way. They don't want anyone telling them how to live their life. But you know what? There's a God in heaven who's told us how to live our life, but he does so because he has uh, a plan for our lives. He has something he wants to do with your life. He wants to do something amazing. But we've got to learn to listen to commands. We've got to learn to obey Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God used and the Lord commanded. And I said before that that word commanded there is in the Hebrew is in the PL verb stem form, which is a very emphatic form. He's speaking from one as of authority, which God is the authority. Let me give you an illustration here. A minister in California related the experience of a colleague, a fellow minister, who while visiting a tribe in Liberia was greeted by the old chief who said, Pastor, we believe in God, but sometimes he's so far away, you be God for us today. And unfortunately, that's what people like to do. They like to take uh, as opposed to God, they like to put someone else or something else in the place of God. As we think about this idea of being God for today, the problem is not with God. The problem is, is with our knowledge of God. There are liberal skeptics and cynics who relegate God to being a medieval or, or ancient means of finding significance in this world. The idea that God's commands are not really relevant today is pervasive even within quote-unquote professing Christianity. Many Christians have adopted a pick-and-choose idea about the Bible about what I like and what I don't like. 
I mean, what you like in the Bible must be God's word, and what you dislike or disagree with is only pertinent to the time of the Bible's writing. We say, well, that's only historically historically, uh, relevant to that day and age, but it's no longer relevant to us today. You can't pick and choose. If you're banking on getting to heaven, God's heaven, and you, yet you disregard his commands and his word, the Bible, in only the areas you agree, then you have established yourself as the God and thereby replaced God. You are performing the same lie that Satan deceived Eve with. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So we pick and choose from the Bible what I believe, what I don't believe in, what I don't really agree with that, but that's what God says, but it doesn't really pertain to today. I don't have the liberty to do that. You don't have the liberty to do that with a boss. You don't have the liberty to do that with your taxes. In Isaiah 45, 9, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay... Say to him that fashioneth it, what makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. It says the clay questioning the potter. And as we continue our study of God's commands and the realm of his commands, I trust that you may walk away from this study with the thought that God is concerned with every area of your life. He gave many commands to Israel. Some of these were specifically directed at Israel, and some still have implications for us today. The study this evening is going to look at the areas God gives instruction either to Israel or humanity in general, and uh, next week we'll continue that, fascinating as I'm looking at it for next week, but here's what the principle tonight, God's commands apply to all of your life, not just when in church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you, and God, I need your help tonight with this this topic with these truths, these principles. And Father, I pray that you'd help me to clearly, accurately, understandably deliver the truths that you've given. Father, I pray that rather than trying to fight and disagree with and rebel and uh, try to dismiss what you've given to us, Lord, rather than that, Lord, that we would embrace We'd embrace you. And God, we'd embrace the commands that you've given. And first and foremost, we'd love you with all of our hearts. And then in obedience, we would show that we love you. And so God, I just ask that if there's anyone here tonight that is not certain of their salvation, if they were to die right now, do they know for sure where they're going when they die? Heaven or hell? Lord, those are the only two options you give in the Bible. Father, I pray that that would be settled tonight. And Lord, for those of us as believers, I pray that our love would be displayed by our obedience to you. There is, no obe- there is no love without obedience. And so God, help us to be the examples of believers that love you by the actions of our obedience towards you. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. You know what, God's given us a lot of commands for life. I was thinking about as I was going through this study, and and it was just like command after command after command after command. Uh, There was a lot going on. 
And uh, the first thing that God deals with in the commands of life is civil justice. The same was for all of the Israelites. Look with me in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 22 through 23. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 22 through 23. Leviticus 24, 22. He said, You shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger as for one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. And Moses spake to the children of Israel that they should bring forth him that had cursed out of the camp and stoned him with stones. And the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. In this passage of Scripture, particularly verse 22, you shall have one manner of law as well for the stranger. He's saying, listen, the laws that are here are for everyone that's within the land of Israel. We understand this, that in in the New Testament, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So the same is for all civil justice. God saying, listen, I will judge. Now, we, under have, we do have government. There was also in Numbers chapter 15, there was a man who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day, and they would bring him outside of the camp, and they would stone him. Now, this was for Israel exclusively. Exodus 31, 16, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for Israel to keep. It's not for the New Testament era believer. There is a principle for today as the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Paul preached to them, ready to part on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The first day of the week is the Lord's day. And you'll find in this whole idea that the killing a man, defiling the Sabbath, God's saying, listen, I've given a day for rest. I've given a day to worship me. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's not just another day. And at 1 Corinthians 16, 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. There's significance to it. There's a time God rested on the seventh day. Do you want to know something else in regards to civil justice, that God, in civil, uh, civic duties and such? You realize in Deuteronomy 19.7, it says, Wherefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee. He's talking about refuge cities. Why would you need a refuge city? If you're out there and maybe you're, you're cutting wood and the axe head fall, you know, flies off the head and hits someone behind you, hits them on the head and they die. And you run for your life to a refuge city waiting trial and someone didn't see what happened... God made it very important that if there wasn't another witness, that you could get off, you know, if, if there's not another witness to corroborate that you killed this man, God's making a fact in his command saying, listen, there's a place to flee to to await true justice. You know what, God put that into the social system. He wanted to make sure that Israel had a fair judicial system if someone messed up and accidentally killed someone. That way, they weren't going to be killed by someone that was angry with them. Now, if someone indeed murdered someone and, you know, it was found out, then indeed they would be killed. You would await a trial. 
Do you realize this in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 17, that God in his commands in regards to the whole, our uh, involvement in society for the Israelites, Deuteronomy 24, 17, there was to be no prejudice on your economic status. He said, thou shalt not pervert the judgment of the stranger, nor of the fatherless, nor take a widow's raiment to pledge. But thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee thence, therefore I command thee to do the same. He said, listen, it doesn't matter if they're fatherless, it doesn't matter if they're a widow, it doesn't matter who they, or even a stranger in the land, they're not an Israelite. You don't change justice because of their economic position. You treat them, and the fairness of the system. God says, listen, I want a civil society. Do you realize in James chapter 2, we find the same idea contained within the church in James 2, 2 to 4. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? God's saying, listen, if someone comes into the church and they're dressed really nicely or they're dressed not so nicely, you don't treat them differently based upon how they dress. You know what God's saying? That humanity is equal. Give them. So God's giving protection. We like, there is, in different religions, you know, in Hinduism and others, there's a caste system. One group's hired another group and so on and so forth. God says, no, you're in the land, here's the rules, this applies to everyone. Something else we find in Scripture is that the children are not to be put to death for their father's sins, 2 Kings 14, 6. So Amaziah, rather than retaliating his father's death and killing the next of kin to the the killer, sought to obey God's word. Amaziah, one of the kings, he would not kill the kin, the children of the man who killed his dad. He would just put to death the man who murdered his father. In Galatians 6, 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. We are personally responsible for our sins. If we do something wrong, I'm personally responsible and you're personally responsible for it, whatever you do wrong. So you can't kill a child for their parents' sins. 2 Chronicles 25, 4. Now, what do we deal with? Here's another thing that God deals with on civil matters. Dealing with marriage. Marriage is an important thing that God's given to us. In Matthew 19, 7 to 9, they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife... Except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. God says, listen, if you're divorced and you remarry, God calls it adultery. Mark chapter 10, 11 and 12, whosoever shall put away his wife and marrieth another, committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So it doesn't matter where you're going. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God says, listen, marriage is a covenant between you and your partner and also between you and God. Marriage is forever. It's a permanent thing, but it's a beautiful thing. Marriage is hard at times. 
But you make a choice. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband, whomever, you know, your opposite, uh, you know, your spouse of the opposite gender is. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, and unto the married I command, this is what God's saying, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, I'm not advocating if a wife or a husband is in an abusive situation to stay in that situation, but I'm not advocating they divorce. They can, they can separate for the time until that individual can deal with their problems of abuse uh, and then, you know, work on that. They, there is a time for separation for safety reasons, okay? But the Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians 7, 25, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath attained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. God ordained sex to be only within the bounds of marriage. Period, dot, exclamation mark. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to see what God says about it, God is exclusively clear. You do not go out. It's one man with one woman within the bounds of marriage for life. You don't go outside of that. It's not experimenting. It's not whatever. Curiosity, you don't do that. That's not what God says. You go outside of the bounds which God has given, and you will incur upon yourself additional hurt. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What is this touch here? This is to inflame the passions. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let every woman have her own husband. God's saying, listen, if there is to be, if God is so put it into your heart for a desire for a partner, and, and there are those feelings of desire for intimacy, God says marry. If you've never been married before. The Bible says to abstain from fornication. We are living in a time where if it feels good, do it. And yet we find society falling apart. The mental health crisis, everything is falling apart because people are going outside the boundaries that God has created. If you break or transgress the commands of God, there are consequences. Marriage is a contract between you and your spouse and God until the death of your spouse. 1 Corinthians 7.39 tells us the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. If her husband dies, she can remarry. God's clear on marriage. Second, another point here is the oversight of a husband or father. Do you realize this? A dad's or a husband's refusal to speak his peace will act if a dad speaks his peace. Look with me in Numbers chapter 30, verse 14. Another thing that God gave as a protection of dads and husbands in a relationship to protect their children and protect the wife. And I'm talking about, and God doesn't, God does give the man to be the leader in the home. But this leadership is not dictatorship. It tells in Ephesians 5 that the husband is to love his wife as Christ also loved the church. It is a sacrificial love for that spouse. He's to be the model. He's to be the example of love in the home. The husband is. 
In Numbers chapter 30, verse 14, But if her husband altogether hold his peace at her from day to day, then he establisheth all her vows or all her bonds which are upon her. He confirmeth them because he held his peace at her in the day that he heard them. So here's a, a wife, she goes out and verse uh, 13, every vow and every binding oath to afflict the soul, her husband may establish it or her husband may make it void. In Israel, if a wife went out and made a contract, but the husband wasn't privy to it, if the husband found out about it, he could say, I do not agree to this contract and it would make the contract null and void. Or a child goes out and makes a contract and dad finds out about it, dad could make that null and void. God has put the husband as a protector uh, over the family. He is not a dictator. He is not to be, it's not my word. Husband and wife, they work together, they complement each other. Uh, There's things that my wife, I mean, amazing things. Doesn't mean I'm better than her or she's better than me. We're equal. But, we, but there needs to be a leadership structure. Without leadership, there's problems. In Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee that thy days may be prolonged and it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. A married man, a husband and her father is to protect his family. He is to be a mentor to the children. Ephesians 6.4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. God would give commands in farming about every seven years to have a fallow year. A fallow year is where they don't farm the land. They let it go dormant. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 21 and 22, God would give a command in regards to don't glean the crops. If you go and harvest the crop, I don't want you to go through a second time. Whatever's left over, if someone's poor in the community, you let them go and get whatever's left over. Say you have corn and you go through and you harvest all the corn and there's still some corn left over in the field. If there's some poor people in the area, they can go and they can pick the corn, they can take it back home and they can have it for them. The poor still have work to do to get the food, but the farmers to leave his fields after the initial harvest. God says, I want to provide for those who may not have the ability. Do you realize something else in regards to warfare? That God, in, in Numbers chapter 31, verse 7, the Lord would command Moses against the Midianites. He would give instructions for purification after war. He would give instructions if, if you went into war, in Numbers 31, 41, God would tell Israel, go into war, and, and what's there if you take over this city, and, and there's some bounty, and there's some goods that you can take for yourself. He says, I want you to give a tribute of that which you got in your labors. He also says, that which you took uh, there in the war, you're to give to those in the ministry and offering, you're to give to the Levites. God also tells us how to battle, who to battle. We're not conquering as Israel did back then. But as believers, we are conquering spiritual high places in our lives. And God is telling us, uh, and in telling others about Christ, and God says, listen, here's how you do it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Understand this, there are government officials, there are people in high places that Satan uses to try to uh, advocate and push forward his agenda for this world. And God says, listen, I've told you how to do it. You want to know something else that God did? 
God dealt with hygiene and medicinal uses. How do you deal with leprosy? Leviticus chapter 14. He gives some commands on leprosy and how to deal with it. If someone comes down with leprosy, it's a disease where you get these things on your, these sores on your body and eventually your fingers may fall off and your hands will fall off and your arm may fall off. It's a horrible disease. And they would have a period of time that that person would go aside and, and they would have the priests. And, uh, but we understand that leprosy was often sent as a punishment for sin, Numbers chapter 12. But God says, listen, if there's disease in your land, here's how you deal with it. There would be a, a social distancing from a leper. God also dealt with, you know what, God was thinking about everything that Israel would encounter. God also dealt with the inheritance of the promised land. Numbers chapter 27, Israel goes in, they get the promised land. Now I know I'm going through a number of things here quickly, but I want you to think about all the things that God is giving instruction for. If God's giving this much instruction, does it not beg the question, does God really care how I live my life? Numbers chapter 27, verse 11, And if his father have no brethren, then he shall give his inheritance unto his kinmen, kinsmen, that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. It shall be unto the children of Israel a statute of judgment, as the Lord commanded Moses. Here's, here's what I just read. If someone died having no males, for instance, if my lineage, and I only have a daughter, if, if I didn't have any sons to carry on my name, and I own this particular plot of land in the promised land where Israel should have, you know, in a larger portion of what Israel has in the promised land. If I, if I died and then my daughter, you know, it would go to the next, and then maybe she died, or maybe she died before me, and then my wife and I, and we died, and we didn't have any other children, uh, then the, the, the land that I have would go to my next of kin. Why is that? Because that way that land wasn't taken over by other tribes. That way that land wasn't taken over by other people. And it would leave this particular tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes. It wouldn't leave that particular tribe with less land. God was preserving and making sure that land was uh, staying within the tribe that God divided it. God understood that, hey, human hearts, we're, we're going to want to take over and conquer. God dealt with the inheritance. God dealt with the Nazarite vow. God dealt with the care of others in the land. Deuteronomy 15, 11. He says, For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hands wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to the needy in thy land. God's saying, listen, Israelites in the land, you're to take care of the poor. You're to take care of the debtor. But we also find this in James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. I'm not advocating for a social justice system, uh, wherein we're just helping the poor and needy without giving them the gospel. If we go into an area, and, and I, I just listened to a sermon by Pastor Sullivan. He was, some years ago, there was a hurricane down in the States, and he, there was a, a religious group that went down there, and he, there in the Winkler area. And so he talked with them. He said, do you ever do services or tell people about Christ? Oh, no, we just help them out. Well, if all we're doing is giving out food, but we never give out the gospel, we're not changing hearts. But he's saying here in James chapter 2, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what do the prophet? He's saying, listen, if there's someone within the church that's, that's, uh, that's hurting, and someone, you know, for, for instance, they're a member of the church or something like that, and, and they're needing help, you go out and you try to help them. 
There's a care for the lost to give the gospel. Notice that all of Scripture is for today. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter 24. Because if all the person wants, you know there's a lot of food hampers and all these sorts of things, but if all the person wants is food but they don't want God, why? They don't want me. They don't want any part. If I'm going to use the food I give as a tool to give out the gospel. If they don't want Christ, then why would I want to give help? I mean, your goal is to see people to come to know Christ. They come to know Christ. It changes their life. It changes their attitude. It changes the consequences of their sins. And thereby, they can make forward progress for the Lord and fulfill God's will for their life. But if they just want to maintain their, their sickness of sin, but they don't want Christ, There's a lot of government agencies that can help. As a church, it is to give out the gospel. And uh, Luke chapter 24, 44, as we find here, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. What does he say? He says all of Scripture, the law of Moses, he says the prophets, the Psalms, These are all Scripture. Verse 45, Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. The thing is, as we find here, those all of Scripture is for today. Whatever God has given in this book, now, there are some things, particularly the Sabbath. We don't partake of the Sabbath. Uh, we're, we're not the Jewish people. We're not under the Old Testament law. There are some things in the Bible that are pertinent specifically only to Israel. But you've got to look at and see what, what that's talking about, but you can't pick and choose God's commands. The Bible is, and the fact is, in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, Wherefore I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. The gospel God has commanded us to give out. Now I want to look at the last point for this evening before I'm done and come to the conclusion, is that God is concerned with your everyday life. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We'll be in the the T-books here for all the verses here in this. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. All those books are next to one another. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God is absolutely concerned with how you live every part of your life. What you talk about, what you think about, where you go, who your friends are. God's concerned with that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, and that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing, but I would not have you, or it goes, verse 11 and 12, but you may walk honestly towards them that are without, those that are without Christ, those that are outside the church, that you may have lack of nothing. He says, listen, you know, to work with your own hands, do your own business, study to be quiet. You're not out there trying to cause a ruckus. God is concerned with how you live your life. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, look with me here. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. He says, listen, if there's other individuals that name the name of Christ and they are going otherwise in a different doctrinal position, he says you're separating from them. And I'm not, I mean, I know sometimes it might be family, it might be other things, but there's those that are separating from a holy walk with God. They're not my closest friends. That's what he's saying, separate. Because God's saying, listen, as as we studied in Sunday school this morning, Solomon's 700 wives would take his heart away from God. And it's a slight Thing that deviates. I mean, it just is a little bit at a time that can take our hearts and get us off track. God's saying, listen, withdraw yourselves. Now, he doesn't say be mean. He doesn't say be rude. But there's those that are walking disorderly. Now, in the Christian life going on, just a few verses later, verse 10 for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. If someone is lazy and can work and doesn't work, God says, they shouldn't eat. You don't work, you don't eat. If you can work and you're not, laziness is not tolerated by God. Do you realize in 1 Timothy chapter 4, going on from here, and I'm just giving a lot of ideas. What I'm going through tonight is just laying some things that God talks about. And this is just some of it. I've had to omit quite a bit. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, God teaches us, tells us what to teach, and he tells us how to live it. He says, verse 11, These things command and teach, let no man despise thy youth. He's talking to Timothy, who's a young pastor. He says, but be thou... An example of the believers in word, in conversation, which is your lifestyle, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. How do you live it? He says, Timothy, if you're a pastor, but he says, it would also apply to us as believers. He says, be an example of the believers in the word, what you know about God's word. Number two, in your lifestyle. Number three, in your love for others, in your spirit, in your faith, and in your purity. You ought to be pure. Last of all, before I come to the conclusion, chapter 6, verse 14. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is concerned that we live a life without spot. We live purely, unrebukably. In conclusion, these are some areas that God has dealt with. Areas that directly use the word command. The derivations of this word are used and the list will exponentially increase if we were to look outside of other commands that God gives. But God is intricately connected to our lives. He cares about all that we do. I said a few sermons ago that God's commands are not grievous, but He has the authority and His commands are to be followed. All of these commands and truths are not to be a burden. They're to com- rather to continually remind us of our need for the Lord. 2 Peter 1.3, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. The Bible is one book, one direction from God. 
And we must learn from those who have lived well, as well as learn from those who have not, of what not to do. It's a divine book. And we are commanded to know God's word. We're commanded to live it out. This book of law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Joshua 1.8, and the verse goes on. Oftentimes, an individual will say, well, I just didn't know God's word. I just didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong just because you didn't know it. Ignorance is not an excuse for being not guilty. Leviticus 5.17 We are personally accountable even for a sin of ignorance. Leviticus chapter 4 If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do against any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, let him then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish in the Lord for a sin offering. He says, listen, if you've come to the understanding that maybe some actions you've done in your life, and maybe you've done it in ignorance, and then God shows you at a later date that what you're doing is wrong, you come and you say, God, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Sometimes it might be on a corporate scale. Even a leader may sin. A leader may sin in ignorance. He might be doing, going a direction he ought not to. And then God shows him, hey, listen, you're going the wrong direction. The leader goes, oh my, I've sinned. The leader would still bring an offering to the priest to, bring, you know, to make amends for what he had done. He was saying, God, I'm sorry. A common person, Leviticus 4. You don't realize that God gave instructions on ignorant sins. Now, a person who's rebellious... The numbers 15, 30, and 31. But the soul that doeth aught presumptuously, whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. God says, listen, if you are trying to put aside God's word and you know what you're supposed to do, God says there's harsher penalties. Your actions matter to God. Your obedience, your relationship with him. If we're a Christian, we don't lose our salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But you can sure lose your harmony and peace with God. We lose sweet fellowship with other believers. God's commands for all of life. There's more to come for God's commands on leaders, worship, as well as the cause and effect of obeying and disobeying God's commands in the coming sermons. But my desire is that we would have a life truly abiding in Christ. God dealt with social issues. He dealt with uh, just care issues. He dealt with medical issues. God cares about your life. He's got instructions. In a final illustration, Joshua, who had been chosen to succeed Moses, and who, unlike his predecessor, had been privileged to enter the promised land, assembled his people to remind them of the mighty acts of God. He assured them that Jehovah would continue to bless them if they were faithful. The Israelites, like all people, were confronted by alternatives. Some were interested in materialistic gods. Joshua knew this and challenged the people to choose their God. He did not want them to live by half choices, convenient choices, or popular ones. The climax to his valedictory was Joshua 24, 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the floods or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You make a choice with what God has said. You know what? As we learn God's word, we're all growing. We have a choice. Am I going to do what God wants me to do? 
I trust today, this evening, you'll choose to obey the Lord in all areas of your life. Stop making excuses for being disobedient. Our proper response is to humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us. And you know what? If you do with a humble heart, He will. The first area of forgiveness that God wants to do in your life is maybe you've been trusting religion, trusting taking uh, a mass from a priest or uh, doing catechism or baptism or something else to, to make you right with God. But if you've been trusting in that to get to heaven, my friend, you're going, you're going to be sadly mistaken. The Bible tells us, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And the thing is, the truth is, you can't worry, you can't be good enough to get to heaven. Jesus paid it all. He said it is finished. The first area of forgiveness you need to ask, you need to ask God to forgive you of your sinful lifestyle and to be your Savior, trusting that He paid for all the bad things you've ever done. You said, you don't know all the bad I've done, but God does. And God will forgive you if you humbly ask Him. And a Christian, it's about time we stop making excuses and trying to make God relevant to culture and we just get in line and say, God, if you say it, I'll follow it. I'll follow you. So if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward for a time of invitation this evening. God has given us wisdom for all of life. As you think about these truths this evening, that you know what, God really does care about every area of your life. He cares about your thought life. He cares about how you, you know, just everything about God does care. And if we've been living in sin, we suffer bad consequences. But you know what, it's about time that we stop making excuses and just bow the knee and bow our heads and say, God, just as we had that song of go where you want me to go, God, I'll do what you want me to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I trust as the music plays that you would just spend some time talking uh, and praying with the Lord and just saying, Lord, if there's any area of my life that's disobedient, God, I'm willing to obey. questions about eternity. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I die tonight where I'm going. I'm not sure if I'm going to heaven or hell. Or you might be saying, I know I'm going to hell. And you say, Pastor, it scares me. My wife, my wife and I, or I would love to speak with you and I can show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven when this service is over. Just come and see me. Come see my wife. And we can show you from the Bible that you can know for sure heaven is your home that you're right with God gloriously. doesn't matter our sins, God will forgive you. Christian, may we just get God's commands, which is His wisdom for all of our lives. As a song, we'll go through one more stanza. It's the time between you and the Lord to pray.
pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as that song was, hymn was being played, I'll go where you want me to go. Lord, that is the attitude of complete submission. And Father, that's the position where you can begin to use us. Lord, you can begin to do something great in our lives. Because God, we are fully obedient and we love you more than we love our own aspirations. We love you more than we love our own materialistic goods. God, you're the first and foremost. And our obedience is an indicator of our love for you. And so, Lord, I pray that this evening, God, we would demonstrate great love by great obedience. Father, if someone has not been saved, Lord, I pray that they would do that. If they've never been scripturally baptized, that they would take that next step and publicly declare and join the church. And not just help us to be found faithful. Help us to be obedient. Father, I love you. Thank you for these truths this evening. In Jesus' precious name I pray.